we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. When you seek, you are seeking something away from the actual fact, towards something that would give you greater pleasure. One seeks because one is dissatisfied with the normal, shallow, narrow, cunning existence. Hello and welcome to episode 191 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from our archives, representing Krishnamurti's different approaches to fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is Seeking. Upcoming themes are Reactions, Limitation and Power. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in the UK which is also home to the Krishnamurti Retreat Centre. Situated in the beautiful countryside of the South Downs National Park, the Krishnamurti Centre offers individual and group retreats for those wishing to inquire into themselves in light of Krishnamurti's teachings. The events programme for 2023 now includes two further young adults retreats in September and November for those under 35. We have lowered our rates for this retreat and further concessions are available. All other events at the centre have no upper age limit. Please visit krishnamurticentre.org.uk for more information. This week's episode on seeking has three sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk in Madras, 1967, titled What are you seeking? I think we ought to consider why we seek at all. Why this human endeavour to find, to seek something beyond all the sensuous material welfare Why we are not satisfied with the things of the senses, but are always attempting to go beyond them? Why each one of us, deep down in our hearts, we are trying to find a God, a Truth, a peace, a state of mind that will not be disturbed, 
a thing that is not transient, which is not made up of time, which is not the result of clever, cunning, theological thinking. I think it would be worthwhile if we could go into it a little bit this evening. Apparently, throughout the past ages, man has always sought something beyond himself. God sought some permanent state. He called it by ten thousand names. And not being able to find it, he has relied on others, on saints, on saviors, on those who assert they know, or he is resorted to worship of symbols, the tree, a particular river, a particular idea, ideology, a particular image made by the hand or by the mind. And he worships that according to his inclination, which is really according to his pleasure, though he might call it by a different name, and according to his temperament, or compelled by circumstances, as most people are. They believe, because they have been brought up to believe, or they don't believe because they have also been brought up not to believe. Believe in a particular doctrine, a particular prophet, a particular saint, or a deity which they themselves have projected out of their own background. And each one of us, I'm sure, have done that. And even that doesn't satisfy. Even, does, even that doesn't give sufficient assurance, sufficient certainty, a guide in life. Because what we project from our own background, from our own conditioning. We know very well that that projection is a part of our own thinking, which is the result of our own memories, experiences and knowledge, and therefore time-binding, and therefore not valid at all. Deep down most of us know this, and outwardly we pretend, using the word God when it suits us, or a particular ideology, or denying the whole work 
non-intellectual, bourgeois, stupid, and so on. So we're always seeking. I wonder why you're all here either. What is what does what is each one of us seeking? And what do we mean by that word seeking? Because that search is related to our daily life. It isn't something we are seeking apart from our daily existence. If we are, then it we live in two different contradictory worlds, and that leads to extraordinary misery and confusion. You believe one thing and you do something else. You worship or at least pretend to worship a deity, and your one's own life is shoddy, petty, narrow, fear afraid without much significance. Or, if it has not much significance, we try to give significance to it by inventing a theory. So we are always after something. I wonder why we seek at all. And it has been stated throughout history, religious history, that do certain things, conform to certain patterns, torture your mind, suppress your desires, control your thoughts, don't indulge sexually. Put a limit to your appetites, and after sufficient torture, after sufficient distortion of the spirit and the mind and the body, you are assured that you will find something beyond. And that's what mankind has done, either in isolation, going off into the desert or to the mountain or to a cave, or wandering from village to village alone, or joining a monastery, forcing the mind to conform to a pattern that has been established which guarantees that if you do certain things you will find. A tortured mind, a mind that is distorted, a mind that's broken, made dull through discipline, through conformity. Obviously, such a mind, however much it may seek, will find what it wants to find, will find according to its own tortured mind. So, to find out, actually find out if there is or if there is not, 
something which man has sought throughout time, surely a different approach or different demand is necessary. Because obviously, if man or few human beings have found that real thing, then life would be entirely different. Life would not be a tortured, despairing, anxious, guilty, fearful, competitive existence. Those people would have asserted what it was, and so on, so on. So it seems to me that one has to find a different approach altogether. That is, we approach from the periphery, from the outer border, and slowly, through time, through practice, through renunciation, through denial, through control, through obedience, through innumerable deceptions and so on, so on, gradually come to the center. That is, work from the periphery, from the outside, towards the inside. That's what we have done. At least that's what man has been instructed to do. Begin with the control of the senses. Control your thoughts. Concentrate. Hold them tight. Don't let them wander away. Don't be carried by lust. Don't become emotional. Turn that emotion into devotion, sublimate it, do everything to make the mind so narrow, little, petty, shoddy. And from the outward, gradually, you'll come to that inner flower, inner beauty, love, and so on. That has been the traditional approach. Begin from the outer and work inward. Peel off little by little. Take time. Next life will do, or tomorrow will do. But peel, peel off, take off, till you come to the very centre. And when you generally come to that centre, you generally find it's, there is nothing at all, because your mind is incapable, is made dull, insensitive. A mind that has lived in insecurity and fear and is hoping to find security and a state in which there is no fear. That has been the accepted norm of all religions. And also, they said, behave righteously. 
help another, love another, be kind. And they've always emphasized organized religion especially. Don't be sexual, but be anything else, but don't be that. Be competitive, be ruthless, go to war, fight each other, destroy each other, be greedy, be competitive, assert, dominate, be brutal, but don't do that one thing. So, One asks oneself, if one has observed this process throughout the world and throughout the religious history of mankind, one asks oneself if there is not a different approach altogether. One thinks that is too, too immature, too childish, too infantile. At least, if one has understood all that, one rejects all that. Is there not a different approach altogether? That is, burst from the center, explode from the center, not from the periphery. That is, a dimension invented by the mind, which only leads to neurotic states, unbalanced existence. First see the difficulty involved in this. First, human beings have been taught to approach something which is not measurable by the mind by forcing the mind to accept certain patterns of behavior or dogmas, perform certain religious rituals, and gradually come to that. That has been the norm, the tradition. And you can go on that way indefinitely for the rest of your life or many lives or indefinitely, and you'll never get it, because obviously your mind is in a mind that has been made dull, insensitive, that has no appreciation of what is beauty, that knows no love, that can repeat phrases out of the Gita, Bible, the Saviour, the Ma that such a mind, such a tortured mind, what can it find? Nothing whatsoever except <coughs> an idea, a concept. And that idea and that concept has been projected by a mind which has which is afraid, which is guilty, which is lonely, which wants to escape from all turmoil, which has denied the outer world altogether. Though it lives in the outer world and is tortured, it denies that world. 
So what can such a mind find? Obviously, its own projection, and therefore we can reject that. Now, you're good enough to listen or hear what is being said, but to go much deeper into the issue, you have to reject it, not intellectually, but actually. No ceremonies, no religion, no organized religions, no beliefs, no dogmas, no rituals. Completely denied. Which means you are already standing alone. Because that the world follows, accepts the traditional approach and you deny totally that approach. And therefore you are already in much deeper conflict with society, with your parents, with your neighbours, with your world, and you must be in conflict. Otherwise you become a respectable human being, and a respectable human being cannot possibly come near that infinite, immeasurable reality. So you have started by denying something utterly false, not as a reaction. If it is a reaction, you will create a pattern into which you will be trapped, but because you understand the futility, the stupidity of a mind that has been tortured. And because you deny the way of which religions have asserted, you may be called irreligious, but that is the path of true religion, to deny completely the force. Then, that is, if you do it, if you pretend intellectually that's a very good idea and not do it, then you can't go any further. If you do it, do it with tremendous intelligence. You do it because you are free, not because you are frightened. And therefore, you create great disturbance in yourself and around you. Therefore you step out of the trap of respectability. Then you are no longer seeking. That's the first thing to realize, that no seeking at all Because when you seek, what are you seeking? Go into it. When you seek, you are really window shopping 
one deity after another. The Christian, the Catholic, the Protestant, the Hindu, and the various divisions and subdivisions of Hinduism, Buddhism, and so on. Seeking. And why? what is the urge to seek? And who is going to find it? Obviously, when you seek, you are seeking away from the actual fact to something which will give you greater pleasure. Do listen to all this. Your seek one seeks because one is dissatisfied with the normal, shallow, narrow, cunning existence. You are dissatisfied with it. It has no meaning. The long, boring hours in an office, the long hours in a kitchen, the routine, the habit, all that becomes most extraordinary, excruciatingly painful. And you want to avoid escape from all that. And so you follow. Or if you don't follow because you have rejected authority, every sensible, intelligent man rejects all religious authority, including that of the speaker, then what are we seeking? What is the motive of your search? In the laboratory of a scientist, you know exactly what he's seeking. He knows what the motive is. But here as a human being, what are we seeking? And that search has great, great, that search has a tremendous meaning to our, with our, to our relationship to society. Please listen to this. The search that each one of us is indulging in, that has a direct relationship to society. Because we are escaping from society. The society which each one of us has created. Follow this please. Each one of us has created the structure of modern society. Having created that structure, we are trying to escape from that structure. Escape from its ambitions, from its greed, from its fears, from its absurd activities. And by denying the very thing that which we have created, and escaping from it, brings about a relationship which has no validity at all with you and the society. I don't know if you are getting the meaning of this. If I am escaping from something which I have created, and my relationship to 
that thing which I have created. From that I cannot possibly escape. I can only leave it when I deny the structure of that thing which I have created. That is when I am no longer greedy, no longer accepting any religious authority. All the rituals. That is the structure of society. And I, when I deny it and not escape from it, that I am out of the structure of, of that society for which I am responsible. Right? Unless each one does this, you can pretend as much as you like that you are finding reality, seeking reality, read books and follow a few saints that has no meaning whatsoever. Then one can find out what one is seeking. You understand? Till then, your search is merely a furtherance of your own pleasure, dictated by your tendency or by the circumstances in which you are placed. If one can go that far, then you can ask what you are seeking. Most of us want greater experiences. Experiences that are not of everyday kind. Greater, wider, more significant experiences. And that's why LSD, that the latest kind of drug which is prevalent in America and is spreading into Europe and probably will come here if it has not already come, it gives one a tremendous experience. Heightens, it's a chemical which alters the structure of the brain cells or the thoughts and brings about a great sense of, great sensitivity, heightened perception. And that experience may alter the course of your life, give you a semblance of some reality, but it is better than nothing. Because to go to every day to the office, to join the army, to become a clerk, become a business manager, is very boring. At least this will give you some new delight, a new experience, and perhaps alter a way of your life. And so, most human beings are seeking experiences. And we want those experiences to be permanent, lasting. Have you ever 
looked into this whole structure and the meaning of experience. To experience, what does it mean? First, it means to recognize it. To recognize that it is a new experience, right? Recognition is an effort. Otherwise, it's not an experience, is it? I, you challenge. There is challenge and there is response. And out of that challenge and response, if there is not an experiencing which is recognizable, it is no longer experience. Right? It's very simple. Therefore, recognition is essential for experience, which means I must, the mind or it must have experienced before, otherwise I cannot recognize it. Therefore, there is no new experience at all. Please go into it. You will see it for yourself. Any experience, however great, however sublime, however idiotic, is called experience when it is recognizable. And recognition is always born out of the past memory. Therefore, that experience belongs to the past. Therefore, it is not a new experience at all because you have recognized it. Therefore, one must doubt all experience. Uh, if you have an experience which you think is most marvelous, divine, lovely, super, super, and hold on to that, as most saints do, as most religious leaders do, then such an experience becomes not only destructive, but brings about a division among people. the Prophet, the Saviour, the, the Shankaras, the, and so on, so on, so on, so on. So, seeking is to experience. Otherwise you wouldn't seek. Therefore, experience is merely a modified continuity of what has been. A mind that is wanting experience is a mind that is not capable of perceiving what is true. Please follow this. 
her mind recognizes this whole process of experience and is no longer seeking experience. Which doesn't mean the mind becomes dull. Because most of us, if we are not challenged, we generally go to sleep. Therefore, challenge and response to most minds is necessary. Otherwise, one becomes lazy, lethargic, inefficient, as it's happening in, your, in this country. There's no challenge. There's nobody pushing. Corruption and all that goes on. So, for a mind to keep awake, for a dull mind to keep awake, challenges are necessary. But when you recognize that, which is already a mind that's awakened to this whole problem, of experience, then you begin to inquire whether the mind can keep awake without any kind of experience at all, without any kind of challenge. Are you following all this? Not verbally, please don't. Then you'll, you'll be going home with ashes. But if you are actually proceeding, traveling, sharing together what the speaker is saying, sharing, not following, not imitating, not repeating, not remembering and then conforming. If you are really sharing together, moving together, then you, you are not listening verbally. You are actually doing it, because in the doing is the learning. Not having learned, you do. Therefore, we are learning. And in the very act of learning is doing. So, the mind demands whether it needs any experience, any challenge, whether created outwardly or inwardly, to keep it awake. And we have thought to keep it awake through rituals, through repetition of words, through conformity, through going to, you know, ritualistic habits, ritualistic ways of life. We hope that way to keep the mind extraordinarily supple, alive, keen, full of light and delight. But we see that when we depend on something, the mind becomes dull. So, can the mind keep awake without any challenge? Which means without any question, doubt, Search, movement. Right, right? We act because behind that action there is a motive. And 
a motive. That motive can create a passion. Passion to do things. Passion to serve, passion to reform, passion to be a leader, passion. Because there is a motive behind it. To do good, to become powerful, to reform, to convert. That motive gives a certain passion, which can be observed sexually throughout the world. And is there a passion without motive? You understand? And that passion without a motive comes into being when there is no seeking anymore, when there is no demand for the pleasure of experience. So a mind that is seeking is not a passionate mind. And without passion, which is without motive, you cannot love. Because as we said the other day, love is not desire, love is not pleasure, love is not jealousy, or love is not the denial of hate. Because when you deny hate, violence, put, away, put those away from you, it's not necessarily that there will be love. Love is something entirely different, like silence. It is not the outcome or the cessation of noise. So, we are asking, as at the beginning, can a mind not come to, the, to that extraordinary thing from the periphery, from the outside, from the boundary, but come upon it without any seeking? And come upon it without seeking is the only way to find it. Right? Because to come up on it unknowingly, in that there is no effort, no seeking, no experience, and there is the total denial of all the normal practices to come to that center, to that flower. For the mind, highly sharpened, highly awake, and is no longer depending on any experience to keep itself awake.
The second extract is from the sixth talk in New York, 1966, titled, There Must Be an End to Seeking. Deep down, if you can strip off that particular layer There is this enormous discontent with our lives, with our shoddy little existences. And it breeds despair and being in despair we seek, we, we say there must be something, we want some hope something by which we can live. <coughs> so we give intellectually or emotionally a significance to life, to our life, <coughs> which prevents us from actually looking observing, listening to the whole content of our entity. And being discontented, in despair, we turn to various philosophies, various methods of meditation, you know, all that we do, one hasn't got to go into all the details of it, so one begins to seek. You try this, you try that, you take this special drug, the LSD or another drug, and keep experimenting, hoping someday you will discover the key to all this. That's what we are all doing. We want a truly religious experience, something uh, supernatural, something mysterious, because our own life is so empty, so dull, so meaningless, so utterly petty. And We seek because we are discontented and we don't know where to look because we have nobody believes in any of the things that anybody says anymore. The religions, the all that's gone up in smoke, it's not worth even discussing. So being discontented, eaten up with this absurd triviality of existence which has no meaning whatsoever, except technologically one must earn a livelihood and have some money and all the rest of it. But beyond that there is no meaning. So there is discontent, a desperate loneliness. And we see. There is this emptiness, this loneliness, this despair, and 
to feel that we are seeking. Probably you are listening this evening, seeking something to fill that void of nothingness. And this search is a terrible thing because it will lead nowhere. One has knocked at the many doors in our despair, loneliness and misery. Eastern philosophy, Zen, uh, this new person who is sitting and listening, talking, you listen to all of them, and you knock at the very door. And actually what takes place is, when you are seeking you find what you want. So the first thing, it seems to me, is to realize that there must be no seeking at all. <laughs> That's a hard pill to swallow. Because most of us have been so accustomed, so conditioned to seek psychologically, inwardly. And if we say, we say, if I can't seek, if, if, I, if I see there is no meaning in seeking, then what am I to do? I'm lost. So seeking becomes another escape from actual fact of what one is. Please, this is rather crucial that one should understand this, because any movement of seeking gives the idea that you are actually moving, active. But actually what takes place, you are not moving at all. What? is taking place when you are seeking is a mental process. Which one hopes will satisfy. And so seeking Is a, no, is a static state. It's a not an active state. What the actual what the actual state is this terrible loneliness, emptiness. This incessant demand. 
to be happy, to be, you know, to find a permanent reality and so on, so on. Seeking by a mind that is frightened of itself what it is. A man who is alive in the deep sense of that word, completely fearless, a light to himself, he has no, no need to seek. So, can this loneliness, this sense of utter meaningless existence, can one find out not through books, not through philosophies, not through psychoanalysts or through any religion, organized religion, actually find out for oneself without any shadow of doubt. If life has a significance at all, And what is that significance, if there is one? Man, historically, has been seeking this thing called God. And it's not the fashion nowadays to talk about that entity. It's not worth talking about him, because nobody is interested. It has been the malapoli of the organized religions, and organized religions have gone up in smoke or in incense. And it has no meaning at all anymore. But yet man is sick, wanting to find out. And without finding that out, life has no significance. Do what you will. You can invent every kind of philosophy or the very, very latest drug to give you a certain stimulation which will have a certain experience because you have become slightly in another corner of the field, extremely sensitive. And if one relies on stimulation of every kind, including the speaker here, then stimulation inevitably leads to dull mind. So. One has to find out, one has to examine, and through that very examination discover, not project 
from your conditioning or from your fear, from your hope, a certain reality which hope exists. Then you are back again to the old circle. So, first one must realize the utter shallowness of our life, not because somebody tells you, but the actual fact of what it is. The meaninglessness of going to the office for the next forty years, or you have been already forty years, struggling, 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 and at the end die. Or feeling that moments of when you are not occupied with earning money, uh, fill those odd moments with some philosophy, with some idea, because all this, or you have money, you can go back, go to certain places and learn meditation to be aware and all the rest of it. It all becomes so utterly meaningless and childish. One has to find out. One has to discover if there is a real significance, not invented by the mind. That's very easy. So uh, to find that out, if there is a significance, there must be an end to seeking, and therefore one faces what actually is within oneself. You see, because of our despair and anguish and all the rest of it, we have invented a network of escapes, beliefs, dogmas, or you just live for the time being and die, rationalizing your whole existence, saying, I'm, you know, all the things that one says. And so the mind must be free of belief. to examine. So to examine there must be freedom, obviously, otherwise you can't examine. To look, to listen there must be extraordinary freedom from all one's conditioning, all one's demands. So that you can look at your own conditioning, at your own demands, at one's own fears. Then 
when there is no movement of seeking or achievement, which is extraordinarily arduous, because we want to succeed, we want a quick answer to everything. You take a drug and you think you have answered the whole of existence because you have had certain experience. And that experience seems to have the shadow, is the shadow of the real. And we play along those lines. Now, to if one can see all this structure, then not escape either through a conclusion or through a word. or through the movement of seeking an answer. You know, this demands astonishing attention. And this attention is not to be gained by practicing attention, God, that becomes mechanical. When one realizes for oneself the utter futility of all what we are doing, which must be done at a certain level, but that's not the whole substance of life. The concerts, the mu- the paintings, you know, the marvelous escapes that man has invented to run away from himself and so prevent himself from looking at himself. Then only when the totality of the mind, this whole consciousness, And all consciousness is always limited. However much you may expand through drugs, through practice of certain disciplines, hoping to expand consciousness, there is always the observer. And the observer is the center. And where there is a centre, the expansion is always limited. Obviously, as we were saying the other day, object and object create space round itself. I have space round me, physically because the object is here. 
this hall with these four of these walls creates the space and there is space outside the wall we only know space from the center when you look at the stars of an evening the beautiful sunset you know the space because there is the observer and that space is always limited you can expand it through various tricks of memory drugs and various forms but it is always limited and therefore there is no freedom and there is space in which there's which is complete freedom when there is no observer when there is no center as we were explaining the other day the experiencer is the experienced or the experience <coughs> i think that's fairly obviously clear i don't know we won't go into too much because we have got to go a little further so the observer the thinker the experiencer is always creating the space around himself and that's the only space he knows and within that he's doing everything to escape from that from that prison which the observer has created so the observer the experiencer is the experienced the observed and therefore the his experiences which he is seeking wanting longing hoping are always within the limitation of that space which the observer creates you can see this for both self very simply when you observe yourself when you observe a building a flower by the wayside or when you have an experience a wanton experience there's always the observer but the observer is the observed the two are not separate i can't go into it because it's it's very important to understand this then the observer doesn't create or demand any experience 
Therefore, there is no center from which to observe, to experience, to gather memory from which to move. The final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's sixth talk in New Delhi, 1962, titled A Mind No Longer Seeking. To meditate, you must lay the foundation. Not during the days to come, but immediately. And that is very difficult. That is the real crux of this matter. Because we want to be ambitious, we want to be in, and then we talk about God, truth, and all the rest of the bills. So your gods, your truths, have no value as long as there is no foundation, and you are no longer caught in the missionary of stupid society and its morality. It means the mind then is free from ambition, greed, envy, power, and all the things that man seeks, which society has encouraged from his childhood. Then there is freedom. Not tomorrow, not at the end of life, but right at the beginning, now. That is the beginning of meditation. Because that implies self-knowing. Not the Supreme Self. There is no Supreme Self for a petty mind, except the thing it has invented which it calls the Supreme Self. The mind is free, not tomorrow, but actually, immediately, on the instant of envy, greed, acquisitiveness, the search for fame and power, then you begin to meditate. But you say, to such a mind, seeking, seeking stops. I hope you are following all this, at least some of you are. Because when you say you are seeking, what are you seeking? You are seeking something you already know, otherwise you won't seek it. You can't seek something you do not know. You can seek something which is recognizable. And recognition is of the past. Recognition is a part of the process of knowing, of knowledge, that is of the known. So, when you deny totally ambition, greed, envy, authority, 
And therefore you have become a true self-knowing, a light to yourself, which is not an authority. Then, such a mind, being free and uncommitted, not seeking, because there is nothing to seek, how can a petty mind seek the immense? It can only translate the immense in terms of its own shallow pettiness. Therefore, the mind must be completely be free of it, of these, and therefore the mind becomes part. It hasn't to seek peace of mind, which is an absurdity. It's like the people talking about generosity and not corruption, keeping their hands in another man's pocket. There must be complete disassociation from society. Which does not mean that you leave society, go to a forest or become a hermit. That's merely a change of clothes, change of habitation. But to completely disassociate yourself so that you have become alone. The mind then is uninfluenced by society. So it is capable of standing completely alone. Then you proceed to meditate. But then you will notice the brain, the brain, which is the result of time, which is the result of all the animal instincts, biological, which is the result of the accumulated knowledge of society, of the nation, the race, the group, the family. That brain becomes extraordinarily quiet. But it's no longer seeking, it's no longer frightened, it's no longer pursuing an idea, it's no longer craving for comfort, for security, for permanence. Therefore the brain becomes extraordinarily quiet. And it must be quiet, because any movement of the brain which is, the, which is compelled by the past, if it projects, it creates illusion. Therefore it must be completely stable. And this stillness is not acquired. You cannot acquire stillness. You cannot practice Because a mind that, a brain that practices stillness is a dead mind, a dead brain. How can you 
How can you force the brain, which is so strongly active, and it must be sensitive, how can you make it become quiet? You can destroy it, and you do destroy it. By denying um, the world and escaping to some form of other world, becoming, destroying beauty and thinking God is nothing but something else. So a sensitive mind cannot be disciplined. It must be said. But if you understand the whole significance of discipline, then there is an extraordinary discipline which is, which is the outcome of freedom, which is not controlled. The discipline that you practice is out of fear, out of punishment, out of reward, out of gaining something which you want, if you do practice a discipline. But such discipline makes the mind, the brain dull, insensitive. So, life is not merely, doesn't belong to the hermit, or to the sannyasi, or to the politician, or to the saintly politician. Life is something extraordinarily vast, immense, immeasurable, and a petty mind cannot possibly understand. And the petty mind is essentially the ambitious mind, the greedy mind, the acquisitive mind. And the, the moment, the second you, you cease to be ambitious, in every form, even the ambition to find out God, the moment you, you are broken, your brain becomes astonishingly quiet. Then the brain being quiet, without any movement of desire, because the desire has been understood. When we have understood the imaginary vision belonging to this and that, all that has been completely satisfied, forgotten, then you are no longer caught by the nose. 